Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think. What I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Target locked and ready. Bombs away! Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Built to Scale with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. Now, for those listening for the first time, the goal of this biweekly podcast is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people with a focus being on helping B2B SaaS companies go to market, scale, and win. Marketing ROI. For marketers, it's the holy grail, knowing exactly where to spend your next dollar for maximum return. But to date, it's been hard. In fact, according to a 2018 Nielsen CMO report, only one in four marketers are highly confident they can actually quantify ROI. Now, obviously, that's not good enough. And one person who agrees with me is Chris Nixon, the VP of Marketing at Caliber Mind. And in this episode, Chris and I talk about the challenges of attribution, why many B2B marketing teams still struggle with quantifying marketing ROI, and a new machine learning approach that Caliber Mind has built specifically for marketers to try and help solve the attribution and ROI problem once and for all. I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Mitch, really excited to be here. Uh, I've followed your podcast for a period of time here, and uh, and you're doing some really good stuff. So I'm glad I can hopefully offer a little bit of uh, insights for your audience. Well, I appreciate the feedback. So today we're going to be talking about really, you know, the holy grail of topics for most marketers, and that's, that's attribution and, and marketing ROI. But before we actually dig in, I want to bring up a stat that you had written about in, in a white paper, and it was from a Nielsen study, I believe, and it, it, it was that one of four marketers are highly confident that they can quantify ROI. So I think I'd like to kick off the conversation by getting your thoughts, Chris, on why in 2019, three out of four marketers are still struggling with quantifying ROI. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, and thanks, Mitch, that's a fascinating question. And I don't think there's an easy answer, but I think, you know, some of the things, you know, specifically in the B2B marketing world where, you know, which is the, the world that I live in, we're seeing a couple of things happening. One, I think the customer journey has become more complex, right? Yes. And it, it's often long and not linear. So in a transactional business or an e-com business or, you know, B2C focused business, often you can track and measure what that customer journey looks like to purchase, right? To whether it's swiping a credit card, whether it's, you know, when we look at more complex, you know, multi-month, multi-year sales cycles, enterprise type, mid-market enterprise type deals, what we're seeing is that there's a number of touch points across that customer journey. And to date, I think it's been really challenging to, to track and measure all of that data. I think there's some technology reasons for that. One, oftentimes our, our different teams, whether it be marketing, sales, customer teams, live in different, different tech and have different data and different, you know, kind of different things they're looking at. And I think that's been a challenge today. So silo, silo data has, you know, been a problem because, we're, you know, as marketers, really what we want to see is that whole customer journey, not just to when we pass that lead over to sales. So I think that's one. Two would be the way that people buy has changed and that, a lot, you know, and we see this data all the time, right? You know, 60 to 70% of the decision-making process is done before they t- talk to sales. But I think yes. layer on top of that, that, Often there's a buying committee that buys today, right? It's not one individual. There's there's an, there's a, a decision maker, an influencer, a user, um, you know, so, some sort of committee that may need to sign off on the deal. Whether you know, kind of influences around the deal. So it's complex in that there's not one individual that you need to be able to influence over that customer journey. It's the number of people at that account or that customer, you know, that that you need to be able to look at. And so you know, think of layering 
the complexity of the whole customer journey and then multiple people on that. So I think that's been challenging to attribute success to date. Um, and then I think, you know, third, internally, we've had a hard time understanding what model is right for our business, what attribution model. And what I mean by that is like we moved from single touch, hey, lead source, what got them in the door, which is kind of the beginning of an attribution, you know, yeah, attribution exactly. to, to multi-touch, which is, okay, there's multiple touches across the customer life. Generally speaking, a lot of companies are looking at that somewhat simplistically. It could be first touch, last touch, or we see a lot of our organizations looking at W shape. And we're getting a little technical here and we can get into it, but around. So really what I'm saying is that, you know, one, we don't know what model is right for our business, what, where to apply those touches. And then and I think coupled with that is, you know, there's bias associated with those, those touches and the models we're looking at because we're saying, hey, I think there's bias with attribution models. I think there's bias with lead scoring, there's bias with account scoring, there's bias across the board and that we're implementing something we think to be true. And we're using the data to prove that out. But I think in actuality, what we want to do is listen to the customer, listen to their journey, and um, use those data points to influence the, the model that we're using. So I think, you know, for a lot of B2B marketers, it, it's, been a, it's been a struggle. More reasons than just that, but I think those are three, three core reasons. No, for sure. And you bring up some good points. Uh, a follow-up question then is, when it comes to attribution, in, in your view, has attribution or specifically, you know, the multi-touch attribution model that, that everyone's kind of getting into or maturing into, uh, do you feel it's worked or, or has it really failed to really deliver on its promise? Yeah. I mean, the premise of multi-touch attribution is fantastic, Mitch, right? The This concept of um, hey, you mean I can I can um, look at the touch points or kind of the the you know the, the milestones across the customer journey and assign value to that and start to understand what in my marketing mix across that entire customer journey is working or, or or isn't because again it's not just that single touch and so the premise is fantastic I think when we look at how we go about executing on that I think that's where we fail to live up to the promise and for some of the reasons I alluded to before right a lot of data a lot of tech complex buying committees. Um, and then kind of internal politics or internal understanding of that. Um, and I think we've, you know, looking at multi-touch, we've probably veered off the cor- off course a little bit. And what I mean by that is we, you know, we look at these multi-touches and we're, and we're, we're trying to assign value to each of these touch points um, and almost give credit. You know, I hear a lot in the market. In fact, it was just on, um, you know, an East Coast uh, trip last week where we, ha- we hosted three events. And one of the the topics was, you know, measurement, ROI, attribution, et cetera. And I often hear marketers talk about what credit, did, you know, what credit do we give different touches or channels or campaigns or programs? And I think, you know, and I wrote about this a little bit in the white paper we talked about, but I think that's misguided because it's less about what credit is given and more about, you know, more, more moving into the, you know, kind of the, the, what we're calling attribution 3.0. And I know I'm leading the witness a little bit here about, but like, what series of events or what series of touches or what chain of events leads to an outcome that you want. And I think we should be more focused on that than giving, hey, first touch was 25%, last touch was 25%, and then you know something in the middle was the remaining 50%. So I think we've been too maniacal and focused on that credit versus really listening to what the customer is telling us and, and looking at that, in, in that holistic journey. It's funny because when I looked at some of the things that, that you were doing, uh, you and the team were doing at Caliber Mind uh, in terms of dubbing this uh, new uh, approach to attribution, attribution 3.0 or, or chain-based attribution, the one thing that struck me was, in fact, that that one difference where you're moving away from touch points 
to more of the conversion paths or looking at the mm -hmm. paths. So let's just dig right into it then. You know, what what is this new approach that you guys are, you know, bringing forth and uh, how does it work? Yeah, and I think it's a new concept, right? The concept of like, um, the concept or the model is what I think is new. What the result or the outcome of what we're trying to focus on is not, is really to arm marketers with that ability to um, understand the customer journey, the impact on whatever outcome they're looking at, and then measure the ROI against that. And so at the end of the day, the outcome or kind of the result or the goal on what we're hoping to give marketers is not dramatically different than what, um, you know, multi, the promise of multi-touch. I think where the difference comes in is the practice or the execution of that. And so when we look at chain-based attribution, we think of it like this. We think of it as that this, it's this concept of how does an account, again, an account or company, not necessarily just an individual, so the, the, the totality of people or the people, the personas that are influencing are important to you, how does that account convert through the customer journey or you know, what's traditionally called the funnel. Um, and we look at the, the actual contribution and calculate the actual contribution of each of those channels or campaigns along the conversion path and start to compare the path of those accounts that convert to maybe those that don't. And so what I mean by that is that these, these chain of events or chain of um, touches or chain of uh, you know, the customer journey, we think there's, they're, they're related. And so when we look, at, we look at the total path and we're able to say, hey, there's a chain of events that's data and let's take a look at this and the propensity or the probability that, that these, these, this chain of events is going to lead towards an outcome, which ultimately would be revenue growth or you know, customer growth, whether it's net new or expansion or upsell, et cetera, and pull that together through a, you know, a machine learning model. We heard you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of fancy buzzwords these days around AI and machine learning and natural language processing, but really let all of this data at hand um, and pull that together and look at that chain of events over a period of time and give you an opportunity, give you an opportunity to say, hey, here's the probability that this will turn into whatever outcome you're looking to achieve. So at, at the premise, I know it's, you know, there's a lot of detail into the model and the, you know, kind of the technical stuff, but at the high level, that's what, that's what it does. There are some some complexities to these models in terms of looking at uh, looking at uh, you know what model is best for your business. I guess you know who who is a uh, chain based attribution for, and and maybe even just taking a step back, where would be the best place to start when it comes to just you know introducing attribution, uh, you know, into your business or or maturing it over time. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah, dynamic, and I've had you know this conversation both internally and then externally with some customers and some um, you know just kind of general people in the market around you know who who is chain based attribution right for? And I think you know oftentimes immediately people start to to lean towards, hey, this is me, me myself, my team, my organization um, maturing from maybe the models that have been you know, we've looked at over the past five to 10 years, which would be, you know, multi-touch attribution models and maturing into that model. And I think there's a time and a place, and I think that's absolutely spot on and right. At the same time, I think it's interesting in that chain-based attribution doesn't just have to be for those, you know, the top 25% mature, you know, mature organizations that are looking at attribution a little bit differently. I think it can also apply a little bit broader to that downstream. And what I mean by that is, because we're not having to go and pick the model and pick the touch points and pick which, you know, 
first touch, last touch, W-shaped, um, even model, time decay models, all these models. And we're letting the customer tell us how we should be looking about success and the conversion path to success and the series of events that are related. I think even if you're getting started or you're getting, you're kind of moving into a more mature model, slightly more mature model than maybe what you have now, which could be somewhat simplistic, think chain base could be right for you as well because um, it doesn't, you don't have to have 100% perfect data. I think oftentimes marketers think, hey, I've got to have my data buttoned up in my CRM, whether it be Salesforce or another platform. I've got to have all my campaigns together. Um, I've got to have all you, my UTMs lined up correctly. I've got to have my data correct in my marketing automation platform. I've got to have everything buttoned up and tracked accordingly in, in say, Google Analytics, and whatever your web, web analytics platform is. And what I'm not saying is that you don't have to have some structure and some, some validity to that data and the data quality, but it doesn't have to be perfect. So I think oftentimes marketers hesitate to get into it because they're scared that their data is not perfect. And I think that's a wrong way to look about it. Go and test this model. And then I think, you know, with any, with any new model, I think um, something else to consider is, hey, why don't, we, why don't you run this model side by side with your existing models or a multi-touch model and let's let the data tell, let's see what's happening. What are the differences? What information are you gathering? What insights? What, and most importantly, what can you action on it? And how is this model different and what's providing more value? So, you know, our recommendation is often to run them side by side. Um, take a look at the chain-based model and then run it next to a multi-touch model. And let's really see, you know, what's performing and what's not and where you can get, gather insights to, to take action. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of things that I, I got from that was I've always said that, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily having perfect data, but it's looking at getting the right metric that you're trying to uh, to optimize against and making sure that you're improving against it. And then to your point as well, as far as just models, sometimes it's not it's not just having the one but looking at uh, having maybe a few that you can overlap and 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 kind of triangulate and and look at where uh, get some insights uh, as far as you know what things are working for you and where you can kind of double down on as as far as your marketing is concerned. Before we kind of wrap things up, uh, I want to kind of get into some rapid fire or quick fire uh, questions. So are you up for it, Chris? It's was it nine thirty in the morning at, in Colorado? Have you had your coffee Let's yet? Let's do it. I'm- I'm three coffee coffee cups in, so I think <laughs> okay. I think now whether I can handle the rapid fire questions, I think is a different question. But I'm <laughs> I'm up for it. Let's do it. Okay, so this one is uh, right up your alley, Chris. Artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread. Pick one. Hope. Your favorite app or tool right now, and why? Gosh, that's a fantastic question. Um, and sorry, I know this is rapid fire, but in the in the kind of the business realm, or just across the board. Uh, you can, it can be across the board. Or you can pick one from each each domain. Got it. Um, so on the per- the personal side, there's a new app called Sky High, and I'm just going to touch on it. And what it is is a subscription to last minute travel, um, okay. and where you pay you pay a couple hundred bucks a month, and then you get really really cheap flights, but it's only a week or two out. So for those people that want to be adventurers and kind of go to different cities and try different things and travel, I think it's a fantastic model, um, and you visit places that you wouldn't before. I think on the business side, you know always trying to learn, right? I'm always trying to, to get better. So any podcast, any piece of content, anything in the marketing realm, any related book, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big pod, podcast junkie. Um, and so obviously you're running one here, but I think um, kind of whatever flavor of podcasts you want um, to listen to, I think, you know, that's that's on the business side what I'm, I'm passionate about. Well, I also am a uh, podcast junkie and I'm also really interested in travel. So those were really two good picks. 
So next question, what's the one thing you wish your phone could do? Turn off. <laughs> okay, perfect. And that's a little more manual, right? But I think, you know, <laughs> oftentimes, you know, I have two, two young kids, right? And I often think we're consumed by our phones. And this is not a new, you know, anything new that, you know, people haven't heard. But and it's more of a mental shift for me is how do I turn off? And it, there's a new phone coming out that literally just calls and texts. So intrigued by that. So I think, you know, simplifying, turning off, kind of de- kind of decoupling myself from our, you know, this addiction to information on our phone, I think is really important. And I think that's, you know, for me, what I'd love to do. What was the, uh, what was it called again? I, I'm, I'm not remembering the name, but it's, a, it's like, a, it's going back to the roots of like a very simple phone where it's literally just calling and texting. Oh, um, sorry. You texting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so going back to kind of the, the roots of what, you know, cause think about it. I don't even know why we call it a phone anymore because very few people actually talk on it anymore. But, um, but <laughs> no, kind of exactly. going back to our, yeah. So that's 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 what I would love to see. So I know it's not a feature of the phone, but <laughs> for me, that's what would be interesting. Perfect. Well, I, again, I'm in agreement. So we're uh, we're now three for three. Uh, so next question: Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? A good decision today is better than a perfect one tomorrow. Absolutely, 100. percent Without a doubt, I was just uh, sat through uh, some leadership training by chance last week, um, an individual, and he said his, his recommendation was just go do. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, and he said just go do, and you're going to you're going to you're going to fail. You're going to have some really good success, and you're going to be surprised. So so absolutely go do. Perfect. Now the next question: What's one thing you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, good. Good heavens. Um, Wow. Very good question. So I know this is rapid fire. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it as condensed as possible. I think this premise that everything can be digital and everything in marketing needs to, and I heard some interesting stats from some of our customers and prospects and the people I was engaged with last week around the, the, the multiplier on face-to-face and the importance of getting in front of people. And I know it's hard to scale. It can be expensive. It's challenging. Um, you can't be in all places at one time, et cetera. But this premise, and I used to think like, hey, we can just go to market, we can be digital, we can do everything virtual. And I'm almost, you know, changing my mind in that obviously there's a hybrid approach and the, the importance of face-to-face cannot be understated. And I think it's been proven time and time again, whether it's 8x or 10x or 15x or 20x, that opportunity. So I think, you know, for me, changing my mind in that, hey, we've got to get in front of more people and we've got to get engaged face-to-face to a degree is really important. Perfect. That was a great answer. Uh, so last question before we start to wrap up, what's the most misunderstood thing about you? I think that, you know, we oftentimes when we have a craft or a trade we're we're so focused on being really good at one thing and whether that's marketing or, and, but I think, you know, for me having a more holistic view of the business and being able to like be creative and impact across the business. I think that's what marketers are trying to do today. We've been focused, you know, generally today, top of funnel, you know, lead generation. And when really marketing is this holistic view of the entire customer journey, even post-sale. And for us to be able to impact the business, um, it's interesting. My ba- my education background is finance. You don't see a lot of finance to marketing kind of shift. And I think what that's given me the ability to do is understand what's important to the business. Um, how do I impact that? And just not sit in my marketing bubble. Um, you know, I think that would be, you wouldn't understand that from my kind of social personas in terms of LinkedIn, et cetera, because a lot of marketing focused stuff. And part of that's because we're, you know, marketing to marketers. Um, but I think kind of expanding the worldview, and I think that's really important for marketers today is to, to move, remove themselves from our bubble 
and look at that whole business business purview. Absolutely, I mean, I'm in agreement as well. I think they can they can be more uh, they can be more impactful and influential when it comes to you know either talking with uh, the leadership team or, or or investors or the board. I own my I run my own kind of video based series, which is called the Revenue Market Report. I, I think you've seen it. You mentioned you've seen it, but that's less important. What's more important is that when on one of the interviews, an example of this in real life was we as marketers oftentimes the terminology and the language we use with the business is not the right the right terminology. It's not what the investors or the board or the executive team really cares about, right? We talk about a lot of technical terms, a lot of acronyms, a lot of MQLs, SALs, SQLs, whatever it may be. Um, and I thought it was a fantastic example of one of um, um, a marketer talking to a CFO and, and looking at, hey, there's this concept of, especially at startups, this concept of a J-curve. And all J-curve is, is like you, you experiment and you try and you spend money and you're gonna dip in terms of the value, but then you're gonna hope that hockey stick occurs. Um, and I think, Talking about marketing and the campaigns and programs and ROI and attribution and, and the concept of the J-curve, we're going to test and try all these things, and then we're going to pour more money into the things that are hockey-sticking. Um, just that simple, like we've been doing it, whether you call it growth hacking or marketing, whatever, we've been talking about that for a long time, but changing the paradigm of how we talk about it with our CFO or the finance team into something that they, they can understand and relate to, I think changes the game for marketing. So that's one, use case, one example, small example of how marketers could go about doing that. Um, and I think we need to do more and more and more of that um, as marketers progress and get, you know, more influential at the, the executive team. No, it's it's interesting because again, I agree. I've actually I've had uh, many conversations with CFOs, and I remember one CFO in, in in particular. He had said to me, he had said, you know, it's funny, you marketers, um, you always talk about your activities, and, I, and he wasn't necessarily talking about uh, me specifically, but he was just generalizing sure. and say, and, and it, it was he he said something really interesting. He said, you know, you guys talking about your your activities and your programs and your and your campaigns is kind of like me saying to the CEO that we sent out 500 invoices this month. <laughs> right, right. It, it's not meaningless. It's meaningless. Right. Right. Yeah. So. It was, uh, because it's all about results and outcomes, right? And I think, sure, the path to how you get there is important, certainly for the marketing team and the business, right? But when you level that up, like talking about the impact this has had on the business and why that's important, it's so much more influential and important to to be able to communicate than all the activity. We're like infatuated with activity metrics, right? And I don't think it's just marketing. Sales to a degree has been the same around how many calls do we place, how many emails do we send, like, you know, right? But, but I think that is shifting into less activity metrics and what's really, and that's what you've seen a shift from demand ABM, right? Is this super sharp focus around, hey, maybe it's not all of these activities in spring and praying, maybe it's the focus um, and the intent around how we're gonna target certain things. So I think I think we're on the right path. I think we can get there faster. Yeah, and I think there's always gonna be a place for leading indicators and how mm -hmm. they affect legging indicators, uh, but, uh, at, at the end of the day, we're hearing a lot of things from marketers these days. We're hearing uh, brand is important. We're hearing growth is important. We're hearing ABM is important. But the, the one thing that we all can ad, uh, at least agree to is that there's always going to be certain things when it comes to uh, how, you know, how is marketing helping us grow revenues and what's our return on that? Yeah, and, and Mitch, I, and maybe this is a good way to close. I know we're, we're, we're closing in on time here, but I really think about it as in three things, and they're simple things, but there's obviously complexity to how, how, how we're able to, one, 
communicate it and then two, how we're able to get to that communication. I think the three things are, and really what, what the, whether it's the board or the, the executive team or, um, you know, top level management, whatever it may be, really all we want. At the end of the day, Martin, is like, how are we, one, how are we performing, right? And how is that performance going all the way to revenue? It's not about, yes, the leading indicators are important, but how is the, what's the impact and influence on revenue? Um, how much is it costing us, right? So that's the ROI formula. How are we performing versus how much is it costing us? And I think the third component, and we saw this some of our research last year, um, and kind of separate some of the best marketers from from the rest is how fast are we able to do that, right? Exactly. And how and, and how quickly can we do that? Um, so the velocity of that, the the impact of that, whether it be on the pipeline revenue, whatever you know it may be. And I think so. Performance, cost, velocity are really the three things that I care about um, every day. And not to undermine how challenging it can be to get there. And I think that's why we released this chain based attribution is to help marketers with exactly those three things. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a pretty simple concept. Absolutely. Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, chat with me today. Uh, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to on the interwebs? Yeah, I mean, you obviously can go to calibermind.com. Um, I run a the show episode kind of video-based series that I alluded to, which is called the Revenue Marketing Report, which is on calibermind.com. And then I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So um, anyone that wants to connect with me or learn more from me or follow me or whether myself or Caliber Mind, we do a lot uh, on LinkedIn. So I think those would be the, the places to find me. Perfect. I'll put all of those in the show notes. And uh, yeah, again, thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, Mitch, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.